Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 13. We're continuing in our series in the Gospel of Luke. Face-to-face encounters with Jesus. Everyday, normal people encountering Jesus. And this morning, we're going to explore the story of a woman. And everyone in town knew who she was. She was bent over and broken. She, she had suffered for so many years. We're not given her name, but she came face to face with Jesus. And in that moment, he demonstrated the kingdom of God. He had proclaimed the kingdom. He had instructed his disciples to pray for it to come. But here in this story, in Luke 13, Jesus decides to put the kingdom of God on beautiful display. Now, what exactly is the kingdom of God? What is it like? And what's required for those who want to enter it? Well, that's what we're exploring in Luke 13. Look with me in verse 10. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. And she was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. And then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught on our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. We'll pause there. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we've worshiped in song. Now help us to worship as we listen to your word. Lord, we know that 
your spirit's at work in hearts. So we ask that you would have your way. Have your way in our hearts, in our lives. Use, Lord, these stories to to give us a clearer grasp of what the kingdom of God really is, what your kingdom is, what it means for us here and now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, three things uh, this morning I want us to see. First, there's a demonstration of God's kingdom, and it answers, what is it? What is the kingdom of God? Second, there's an expression of God's kingdom, and it answers, what's it like? What's the kingdom of God like? And then finally, there is access to God's kingdom, and that answers, well, what's required to enter the kingdom? So first, let's look at demonstration of God's kingdom. What is it? And we see this in in the first account, the story of this woman. Jesus is given the platform to teach. He's traveling traveling through towns, and traveling rabbis would have been invited to share in the local synagogue. This is a day of worship. It's a day of rest. So right then and there, there's this woman who, we're told, had a disabling spirit for 18 years. Her affliction was obvious to everyone in that town. She was bent over and broken. When Jesus saw her, that's what it says, when Jesus saw her, he saw her. Was this in the middle of his sermon? We don't know when he saw her, but he saw her. And that's important for us to see, that Jesus saw her in her affliction. He saw her in her broken state and in the midst of her suffering. And something happened right then and there. In that moment, his compassion and his love and maybe, I think, his, his righteous indignation or anger over human suffering, it drove him to do what he did next. He called her over. He invited her to approach him. Now, she didn't ask to approach him. She didn't say anything. And he said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. Freed. No one's talking at this moment. No no one's moving around. Everyone's stunned at what's happening. They're stunned at what they're hearing Jesus say. And listen, he's just getting started. Woman, you're freed from your disability. And he touched her. Look with me, verse 13. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. There it is. At his touch, what was previously broken was made whole. At his touch, her life was forever changed. Have you ever pulled out your back? I've done it many times. The last time I pulled my back out real bad was at this leaders collective uh, that I'm a part of. I've told you about it before. I was making my way over to the snack table and reaching for some beef jerky. Now, I wish I could tell you that I was working on the lawn and I was lifting a log or something, you know, a big rock. I was reaching for beef jerky. I wish I had never reached for that beef jerky because in a moment, my back just seized up. You see, I'm blaming it on the fact that I had been sitting for like eight hours straight, but We won't go there. The fact is, I was reaching for beef jerky. My back seized up. And in that moment, I thought, my life is over for the next two weeks. All right? And so I I just kind of, like a penguin, I walked out of the room where all my friends were gathered, and I just laid 
in the sanctuary of the church where we were at, on the floor. And they probably thought I was out of my mind. I was out of my mind. Because any of you who know the feeling of your back going out, spazzing out, you know how it feels. All right, so there I was, seized up. Everything was different from that point on. Pain dictated what I could and could not do from that day forward for, for many days. You see, listen, pain had dictated what she, what this woman, this unnamed woman, what, what she could do and could not do. The shape of her spine determined whether she could stand up straight, but not anymore. Enter her life. Enter that experience. 18 years of suffering, of being that one who everyone in the, in the town knew as the one with the disability. Not, not anymore. Freed. The day you wake up after your back spazzes and you can, you can move without wincing is a good day. It's like you've got a, a whole new life. But this woman could stand straight again. She was healed. She, she was freed. Jesus is putting the kingdom of God on beautiful display through this woman. He demonstrates his own power and authority over the powers that had her bound. So the kingdom of God is it's God's rule and his reign. It is over his people. It's good news because if God reigns over all things, then listen, we are not lost. Oh, there's hope beyond this frustrating mess. And Jesus has been announcing the kingdom of God is at hand. So he's proclaiming it. He's bringing it. He's demonstrating the kingdom, the rule of God. Through who? Through King Jesus. Remember, where there's a kingdom, there's a king. We, we call Jesus the Christ, the anointed, the king. So here is the king on the scene. He's been proclaiming the kingdom, and now he demonstrates uh, the power of God and his rule over this woman and over every other power that had her bound. He's been doing that with acts like this, demonstrating God's presence and power. So this woman who had been shattered by evil is put back together again. And everyone's happy, right? Nope. The religious uh, ruler is not happy. He's actually very ticked. He's, he's mad. He's upset that Jesus broke the Sabbath law. But did he? Did Jesus break the Sabbath law? Or, or did Jesus break the traditions of men that piled on top of the Sabbath laws? There were particular laws, and there, there are particular laws in the Old Testament regarding the day of rest, the Sabbath day, the day of worship. But in addition to that, religious leaders would, would, would put kind of a, a fence around those laws so, so to ensure that they wouldn't break the, the laws themselves. And they were just kind of putting burdens upon the people as they did that. But the man is enraged. He's so upset. He doesn't even address Jesus. I don't know if you caught that. He turns to the crowds that are there, and he doesn't look at Jesus. He looks at the crowds. I think he's attempting to humiliate Jesus. It's definitely, for sure, an open rebuke of Jesus in front of the crowds that are gathered. Come on any other day than the Sabbath to be healed. What are you doing? Essentially what he's saying to the crowd. Jesus isn't having it. His response, verse 15, you hypocrites. You mask-wearing play actors. He's, he's basically saying you're living in a make-believe world where man-made rules and regulations are a mask you hide behind. 
Religious leaders of the day, like I said, they followed strict man-made regulations, boundaries to ensure they honored the Sabbath. And by doing this, they, they not only misrepresented the intentions of the Sabbath day, they were adding additional burdens to the people, and, and they created a trap of self-righteousness for themselves. Let me, they did things like they built makeshift houses over wells so that they could tell themselves that they weren't leaving their house to water their animals. So Jesus goes on, and he uses a play on some words. The word untie and loosed are the, the same word in the Greek. You untie your animals to water them, but you won't untie this woman who's been bound by Satan, by the Satan, by the accuser, by the deceiver. So here, Jesus is arguing from lesser to greater, and he does this in his ministry. Uh, he does this in his teaching. He's arguing from lesser to greater all the time. You water, you untie your, your animal to bring them to water, but you won't, you won't rejoice at the fact that this woman has been untied. She's been loosed. She's been bound for so long. Kingdoms are clashing in this moment. Kingdoms are clashing. There's a power struggle going on. Jesus displays his power over the bent and broken religious system of the day just as much as he is displaying his power over the bent and broken body of that woman. Kingdoms are in conflict. There's a demonstration of the kingdom. Second, there's expansion of the kingdom. The, the belief of the day was that the kingdom of God would come in a dramatic, cataclysmic way. That Messiah would put an end to the oppressive regime of the nations and to the powers of evil. That the Messiah would bring deliverance to God's people and judgment on their enemies. There was much anticipation, a lot of tension brewing in Jesus' day. But after de demonstrating the kingdom, Jesus goes on to tell the crowd what it's like. And he makes this comparison using something uh, in, in real life something that would have been very common, a way to illustrate the kingdom of God. He uses a mustard seed and leaven. The mustard seed was talked about in a proverbial way because it was super tiny, the smallest uh, seed that they would have known. And, but it grew into a tree or uh, about four to 10 feet tall. And, 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 and it grows into this, this, this enormous plant or a small tree. Uh, and, and it's it's got a huge growth compared to the, the, the size of the seed itself. So much so that it becomes a place of security and rest for the birds. And then he goes on to talk about leaven. You add just a, a little bit of leaven and it causes uh, the flower to expand. It just permeates and infiltrates the flower, causing it to grow exponentially. So the kingdom of God has arrived in an almost unnoticed way gradually permeating and spreading and growing and transforming until eventually what seemed insignificant, oh, is anything but insignificant. The power of the kingdom was demonstrated with the healing of this woman. The beginning of the end of Satan's tyranny. The beginning of the end of the destructive powers of darkness. It's a sign, then and now, God has come to do something about our brokenness. You know, church, listen, eventually Jesus himself would be like a seed planted in the ground. That his death on a cross, his humiliating death on a cross, his seeming defeat would be the end of Satan's tyranny. 
The end. And here we are over 2,000 years down the road and we've witnessed the expansion of the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God through his son Jesus. And what started out really small and seemingly insignificant continues to spread its branches where people are finding rest, salvation, and peace. It can't be stopped. It won't be stopped. An ever-expanding kingdom. What's it like? It's like mustard seed. It's like leaven. It's expanding. Third, access to God's kingdom. What's required to enter the kingdom? Jesus continues on towards Jerusalem, and Luke is helping the reader. He's helping you and I. He's helping us remember that it's in Jerusalem that Jesus will actually accomplish salvation. Verse 23. We hear a question from the crowd. Will those who are saved be few? Well, there's a lot behind this question. The question about who and how many will be saved, it makes sense. Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God, the reign of God, the rule of God, and ideas about who and how many would enter the kingdom. Man, we're a hot debate at this time. But this isn't about, hey, do you got your ticket? You go into heaven, you're gonna just, and that's it. Like live some disembodied uh, life on a cloud stroking a harp somewhere. That's not what this is about. It's not about your pie in the sky afterlife existence. Now, I believe that when you die, you're present with the Lord. I mean, don't get me wrong. I believe in a, a heavenly state, but there is a day when all things will be made new. So what's this about? It's about experiencing the deliverance and renewal that God had promised. This this is about God's people living under God's loving rule, living for his glory, out from under the tyranny of evil. The man's saying, come on, how many are going to experience that? And Jesus answered the question with with an analogy, a narrow door to a a great banquet. Let's read it again. A narrow door to a great banquet. Let's look at uh, verse 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. This is about entrance, access. There are promises and warnings here, but there's also invitation. So is the kingdom, we have to ask, you might be wondering, is the kingdom an actual place? I thought it was an activity. Yes. Yes to both. Is it present here and now, or is it future? Yes to both. It will be fully manifested one day. This is all heading somewhere. But we enter the kingdom now. We experience the renewal and freedom that comes from Jesus' power over the accuser, his power over evil, his power over brokenness and sin now. Scripture tells us that we are made new in Christ Jesus. We're new creations in Christ Jesus. One day Jesus will return and we'll see the fullness of his kingdom come. We pray, let your kingdom come. Let your rule and reign be evident in my life day by day. But, but also it's a powerful prayer of hope and expectation of what will be. Let your kingdom come. 
Show yourself strong and powerful over every other power. Let your kingdom come. I can't wait for the day when you restore all things, when you wipe every tear away, when sin is completely eradicated. We stand before your presence. Let your kingdom come. There's a lot to that prayer. We're learning about the kingdom. We were told uh, in, in Luke 12 uh, to seek the kingdom. And that in seeking that, it would be our treasure, that it's, a, it's our Father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. So why should the kingdom be valuable to us? I hope that you're seeing why it should be valuable to us and what it means for us. We experience renewal and freedom now in Christ. Power over evil, power over brokenness, power over sin. And Jesus is saying here, don't wait. Come on, act now. The door is open, but it won't always be. Strive. Literally, the word is struggle or compete for a prize. With everything in you, strive. This is an urgent invitation from the king himself to enter the kingdom. All right, so imagine, door is, is narrow, it's open, you, you see the feast, you smell the feast. You look inside, you ever walk by like a, a party or something, or you're at a, a banquet hall, or there's different parties going on, or you walk by, or, or maybe you're walking your dog at night, and you're, you're, you're looking inside of a a window. I know you don't look in other people's windows uh, when you're walking your dog, but um, let's just say you did. And you see a party going on. You're like, oh, wow, they're really having a good time in there. That looks fun. Ooh, I smell the food. Mm. See the cars? Imagine, narrow door, propped open by Jesus himself, and he's saying, strive to enter. Many have tried. Strive to enter with everything in you. Come. It's an urgent invitation from the king. Some have said that the woman bound and broken, that previous story, is actually a picture of Israel, the nation, bound and broken. And what Jesus did for the woman that he longed to do for Israel, free her. Now, this is a warning for Israel. What Jesus lays out here, because look what he says. Look what he says. Verse 25, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we, we ate and we drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, oh my goodness, the horror. It is a warning for Israel. They saw him in their streets. They heard him teach. But church, it's a warning for us as well. We know your name, Jesus. We attended church, Jesus. We gave money. We served. Went on mission trips. Posted things on Facebook. We did all these things, Jesus. Let, let me in. Hey, you know the feeling when you just missed a flight? I mean, the door's shut. That's... 
That woman with the scarf around her neck, she's got all the authority. She's like, sorry, you missed your flight. You're like, man, I know the plane's right on the other side of that door. Come on. Just let me, no, sorry. Sorry. Protocol. It's not a good feeling. Multiply that by, uh, I don't know, a million. The horror. I want you to multiply that. Just think about this. It's, it's, words fall short to describe the horror and the regret at missed opportunity on the other side of this door once it's shut. It really is possible to discover with absolute horror the depth of your mistake. The narrow door is actually to a great feast. I said it. It's imagery that comes from Isaiah 25. I want to read to you the prophet Isaiah. It's so sweet. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah paints this picture with his words of God's rule. Verse 6 of Isaiah 25. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. goes on, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Oh, it's a done deal. It's happening. Jesus is pulling imagery from Isaiah 25. Who are the recipients at God's in God's kingdom, who are the recipients at this feast? Who are sitting around this table? Who are participants? Who are the recipients of God's covenant grace? Well, look what he says. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is faithful Israel. This is Israel who by faith looks uh, to God's provision of grace, of, of a Messiah, of a Savior. But also people from north, south, east, and west. This is, these are Gentiles. These are the nations. This is uh, you and I. Recipients of the kingdom, full participants sitting around the table, people from the north, south, east, and west. It's for anyone, anyone who looks to Jesus. Now, you might say, man, Christianity, it feels so exclusive. A narrow door? Come on. Jesus, the only way, the truth, the life, that no one can come to the Father but through him seems so narrow. You're talking about a narrow door? Come on. Seems so exclusive, but do you see how inclusive this is? <laughs> it's for all, for any, any who look to Jesus. The door is open. So as Jesus went about his mission, he was holding open the door, you could say, and he's urging people to enter. And fast forward to the early church and to the disciples uh, and, and the, those who followed Christ after Jesus ascended, and, and they're taking their cues from Jesus and they're preaching. And, and you can look with me in Acts chapter 2, the birth of the, the New Testament church, and you see this in their preaching. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 37, after they had heard of Jesus and what, what, what happened on the cross, it says, now when they heard 
heard this, they were cut to the heart and, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, here's what you do. You repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. There it is. Oh, they're taking their cues from Jesus. They're taking their cues from Isaiah the prophet. They're saying, repent and believe. Repent and be baptized, which is just an expression of your faith and belief in Jesus, a a visual demonstration of that. And so this is for all, for all, for all who are far off, for everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so this is what the early church proclaimed. So what's required to enter this feast? What's required for you to strive through this narrow door? Faith and repentance. Faith and repentance, two sides of the same coin. You need faith in Jesus and who he is and what he's accomplished for you, and then you need to repent. Well, what does repent mean? It's a word you don't hear a lot uh, uh, about. It means owning up to the fact that you're broken and bent, just like this woman was. You're a sinner. Uh, You've rebelled against God's uh, good rule. You've been living out from under it, and now you're submitting yourself to the rule of God through his son Jesus, who is king over all. You're bowing to him and to his authority authority and you're saying, I don't want to live for myself anymore. Now that's repentance in a nutshell. I'm turning away from my past life of living for me and by faith I'm looking to Jesus. And that is what the church proclaimed. And in proclaiming that, they're saying, the door is still open. No casual approach to Jesus. It just won't work. So what then? Own up to the fact that you're bent and broken. Look to Jesus for rescue and freedom. Jesus' death and resurrection makes it possible for you to enter the kingdom. His presence and power is just as real today as it was then for that broken woman. The opportunity to respond, it won't always be there. Listen to me. The opportunity to respond will not always be there. I do not want you to find yourself on the other side of the door, banging on the door. The door is open and Jesus, the king of the kingdom, says strive to enter. Now is the time. Act now. Well, how? What What do I do? You see, just like the the people in Acts chapter 2, they were cut to the heart. What do we do? And and Peter says, repent and be baptized. Own up to the fact that you need the Savior. Listen, if you're listening and this is the first time you've heard anything like this, today's the day. Act now. Don't wait. Repent. Own up to the fact that you're bent and broken just like I am. Own up to the fact that you're bent and broken and that Jesus is your freedom. Jesus is your Savior. Is your life a beautiful display of God's power and authority over the tyranny of sin? Do you want it to be? Own up to your brokenness today. Look to Jesus and the freedom he offers. Is your life a beautiful display uh, of God's uh, power over tyranny of sin? If it is, and you can answer, yes. Yes, it is. He has freed me from the tyranny of sin. He's freed me from oppression. He's freed me from, from my, my, own, uh, my own self. I look to him as Savior. If you can say yes to that, then celebrate it. Celebrate it. Celebrate the fact that he's opened that door for us. You can imagine his foot at the, at the door. He's holding that thing open. He's saying, strive to enter and pray. 
pray that we would reflect that we've been brought from east and west and north and south to share in this feast, to sit at the table, to enter the kingdom, and to treasure the king. I believe with all my heart we were made for this. And it's for all who will look to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you. You're making the kingdom clearer to us through the teachings of Jesus. Thank you for the beautiful demonstration of the kingdom over this woman's life. Thank you for teaching us uh, about the expansion of the kingdom. But Lord, also, God, we thank you for this full access and this invitation to participate in it. And I pray, God, that, Lord, for those who have by faith looked to Jesus, that this would be sweet to us, that we would just celebrate it and be thankful for it and be humbled by it. And for any, within the sound of my voice, who would be contemplating and considering and asking, well, what then? What do I do? That, Lord, they would act today and now. That they would repent and by faith look to Jesus alone. We trust you, God, and we thank you. Amen.